0: The late, great Ruth Bader Ginsburg. The Constitution begins with the words, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union. Think about how things were in 1787. Who were we the people? Certainly not people who were held in human bondage because the original Constitution preserved slavery. Certainly not women, whatever their colour, and not even men who own no property. It was a rather elite group. We the people.
1: Welcome back to Politips, the podcast that gives you all the recent insightful political yeah, commentary. I am joined once again, as you can already hear, by uh, Jimmy Wilder.
0: It's uh, it's good to be back, guys. I mean, I was dropped for two two weeks. Um, you were too I, busy for us. I, uh, I, I saw the ratings absolutely plummet, um, and I've been brought back now to save the podcast, so it's great to be back, guys. Um, I've had some great feedback, though, guys. Shall I share a little bit of feedback? Yeah, come on. Um, Mrs. Williams mm-hmm. from Geography. Uh, was a big fan, is a big fan, of, 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 of Ed's soothing voice. That's what she said to me, that's her quote. I didn't know whether that meant your voice was very listenable, Ed, or whether that put her to sleep most nights. Um, but but Scott, I get we that lot. we've, um, you yeah, know, Langton. Uh, I've had some feedback about your Scouse accent. I mean, I keep telling people you're from Sheffield, but uh, they still won't believe me. Um, They're on so, but they? but, it, but right. it's uh, great to be back, guys.
1: Yeah, no, it's great to have you back, um, James. Yeah, <laughs> now that you've actually done some reading and, <laughs> and actually did some research on things, <laughs> and you spent that time wisely and wisely, and of course we've got again Johnny Langton. Hello. Hey. Hello. So we okay. We started with the quote from Ginsburg. A bit of a Supreme Court hero, would you say, James? Um, Absolutely, absolutely. From a certain angle, anyway. So why is it that we are so obsessed with the American Supreme Court? Well, Ed, I think that's a great question to
0: start on. Why do we care about it so much? And I think. Uh, The US Supreme Court is clearly more politically impactful. and, And the rulings we hear about more because they have such widespread impact across the United States. Whereas arguably in the UK, we don't hear as much about it. It isn't necessarily as political or certainly politically impactful. And I think that's a really good place to start with this conversation.
1: Well, indeed, James, because the Supreme Court in America is world famous, but even in the UK, we talk about it. And there've been recent examples of supreme court cases that have reached the british media and are famous here and arguably more so than actually the uk ones and yet the uk does have a supreme court so in both our systems we've both got these organizations called the supreme court so maybe you could start us off uh, james by just talking through what do the supreme courts do in both systems what are they what's their job so ed Uh, Buckle in, everyone.
0: Uh, The Supreme Courts in both the US and the UK are, of course, the highest courts of appeal in the land okay they both have thousands of cases put forward each year but only here they only hear a couple of hundreds um, and that is really guys based on cases that are of constitutional importance the main concern with these supreme courts both of them in them in america and in the uk is that not necessarily whether someone is criminally guilty or um kind of whether there is a an element of of guilt in these um in these cases but rather what is the importance of this case to the constitution. That's why, guys, you see the the Supreme Court dealing with cases in the UK, like R. Miller versus the prime minister, dealing with the issue of prerogative powers versus parliamentary sovereignty. And, uh, you know, in the US, that's why you see the US Supreme Court dealing with cases like Obergefell versus Hodges, where they were, you know, changing a definition of marriage constitutionally across the states. Um, and when these courts decide on a verdict, you know, they, they both set a judicial precedent, which means that all courts lower down must follow this interpretation of the law. And I think that's a real similarity to, to state from the start there. When they change a precedence or set a new precedence, they will often issue a practice statement or direction uh, to instruct the lower courts in how to follow their ruling.
1: So in both systems, you're saying, James, the decision from the Supreme Court sets in the meaning of the law, the interpretation. So laws passed by our legislatures, so Congress in the US, Parliament in the UK, and you're saying in both systems, it is the Supreme Court that clarifies the meaning of those laws.
0: Um, Well, Ed, I think the main point to stress here is that they do uh, interpret the constitutions differently because the nature
1: of our constitutions are different. So is that then, James, because the constitutions of the two systems the UK and uh, the US have set up the Supreme Court in different ways for the Supreme Court to be doing different things. Can you maybe talk us through where the powers of the Supreme Court's actually come from? And As
0: ever, Sir Edwin, you are absolutely right. Um, And in the UK, the constitution is uncodified and therefore things like statute law, so parliamentary law, takes priority. You know, we have Parliamentary sovereignty, as many of you know, in the UK, which means that Parliament has the supreme power to make amends and repeal laws. And the Supreme Court's role in that is to uphold that parliamentary sovereignty and therefore follow acts of Parliament. That is why in you know we've discussed this case before in our miller versus the prime minister in that case where boris johnson prorogued parliament uh, basically suspending parliament which was within his prerogative powers as being part of the executive the supreme court ruled this unlawful as they had to uphold the parliamentary sovereignty just to give you a bit more depth on that very quickly the european communities act of 1972 stated that any withdrawal from the eu must be initiated by parliament therefore parliament must sit in order to decide what it wants to do. Therefore, that takes priority over the prerogative power of proroguing Parliament.
1: So in this situation, the Supreme Court of the UK famously got involved in a constitutional question, can the UK Prime Minister prorogue Parliament's legally that was considered by many to be maybe the supreme court going in a very political constitutional direction and it it surprised them that they actually did make a decision but it seems therefore the supreme court of the uk has become very political and politically involved so why would you say james that still the u.s supreme court has more influence and political impact i
0: think the key thing to say there ed is that this decision, yes, you could argue had political impact, but only to the, to the degree that it upheld parliamentary sovereignty. It facilitated the meeting of parliament, the debating of parliament, the passing of laws of parliament. So yes, it was a political, it had a political impact, but only as so far as to enable parliament to make those decisions. Whereas in the US, the decisions are, are more politically impactful because the um, you know we're gonna talk about the constitution difference now Um, and the constitution in America is codified and is also sovereign therefore the people's rights are held within that constitution and therefore you know as we know rights and civil liberties are really contested politically and therefore when the supreme court in america make decisions and landmark rulings on these uh you know rights and uh, the civil liberties of people in america that obviously has much more
1: political um, impact so james in both systems we often hear this term judicial review Can you just explain exactly what that is and what judges are doing in those scenarios and how that impacts our politics?
0: Yeah, so Judicial Review um, is where the Supreme Court, both in America and the UK, can, in the name, review uh, cases that are put forward to the Supreme Courts and can make, uh, make a make a ruling, a verdict and set a precedence from that. Um, they're done in slightly different ways. So in the US Supreme Court, um, under Judicial Review, the Supreme Court has a power to uh, and duty to uphold the Constitution and the power to deem a congressional act or an executive order as unconstitutional whereas in the UK here's the big difference in the UK uh, the, the Supreme Court cannot deem a parliamentary act unconstitutional um, because Parliament is sovereign. Whereas in the US, the constitution is sovereign. And because the Supreme Court have the duty to uphold that constitution, they can deem an act of Congress or an executive order from the president as unconstitutional unconstitutional, and overturn that. For example, in uh, Bostock versus Clayton County, the Supreme Court stated an employer who fires an individual for being gay or transgender defies the law. This pushed back on Trump's policy that military personnel can be sacked. Act for being gay or transgender. So obviously if the Supreme Court is, is supreme or sovereign
2: in the United States and Parliament is sovereign in the UK, that's going to dramatically alter the fight for civil rights or defending civil rights if certain groups have very different access points. So in the UK, um, they would have to um, persuade Parliament to pass uh pass a law defending civil rights whereas America they can they can try and lobby to get um appointments on the Supreme Court in order to fight for their rights
0: yeah, absolutely, Johnny. And, and just to add on to that, I think that comes back to a, a really key point about America having the separation of powers. The fact that there are different access points um, that have their separate roles and their powers um, to be able to influence policy and you know overturn uh, you know areas of policy and 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 make um, you know set the agenda and things like that. Whereas over in the UK, we obviously have the fusion of powers, which is where the government and parliament are intermingled, and therefore a majority government often has. A a lot of power to just to put through their agenda and therefore is there much point in lobbying the opposition for example
2: in america they also use amicus curiae briefings which are briefings that you send uh, to court as a pressure group in order to try and persuade um, a certain argument and that is far more common in the united states than it is in the uk is that down to the fact that the courts particularly the supreme court have sovereignty
0: OK, you're you're absolutely right there, Johnny. And as we know, the role of the Supreme Court is to uphold the Constitution and the first 10 amendments of the Constitution, which is in the Bill of Rights. Um, And, you know, things like the freedom of of expression and religion, the freedom to bear arms, the Second Amendment, uh, these rights, because it is codified, are entrenched and they're really, really difficult
1: to overturn. So one reason, therefore, that we discuss why the Supreme Court in America is more influential is their ability to uphold the Constitution by striking down things that the executive um, is doing or that Congress passes. So you've mentioned how laws can be overturned or executive decisions can also be overturned. And that is more significant than in the UK, because if the UK, say, that an executive decision has gone beyond their power, ultra vires, based on a statute law, then In theory, the executive can pass another law through Parliament to overturn that decision, can't they? Because Parliament is sovereign, not the Constitution, as discussed. But that is striking down things. That's quite a negative thing, isn't it? It's the Supreme Court saying, no, this goes against the Constitution. Is it also the case that the Supreme Court in America, because of the decisions that they make, is not, is not just striking things down, but actually enhancing the rights of their citizens? I think
0: ultimately, Ed, you've got a strong point there. And one historical example I can give of this really is that, you know, and certainly in terms of protecting civil liberties, are the Reconstruction Amendments. And if I could just give a brief overview of that, the Reconstruction Amendments are the 13th, 14th and 15th Amendments uh, that are built um, upon the Emancipation Proclamation and the cementing of the abolition of slavery. So the 13th Amendment was the formally abolishing of slavery across the U.S., obviously the Emancipation Proclamation was just in the uh, southern states. Um, The 14th Amendment was the infamous uh, Equal Protection Clause and Due Process Clause, which is where states had to um, uphold equal protection of all people. Um, And the federal government can challenge state governments if they're You know, is not equal protection. Um, And interestingly, that gives a a bit of a a contestation there between the 14th Amendment of the federal government stepping in and the 10th Amendment, the power of the states. So quite a good one to use for federalism there. Um, The 15th Amendment, uh, black men could not vote in all states until Congress passed this amendment. This amendment made it illegal to refuse them the right to vote on account of race. Um, And interestingly, Ed, there was a a big reaction to the 14th Amendment uh, with southern states' bring in Jim Crow laws uh, to circumvent the demands of the 14th Amendment, and these echoed the separate but equal uh, concept of the the, um, segregation in Plessy versus Ferguson. Um, And then obviously the Brown versus Board of Education in 1954, which was a landmark decision by the Supreme Court to strike down the US state laws establishing racial segregation in public schools. Um, However, guys, after this landmark ruling, really interestingly, the southern white political leaders brought in place the Mississippi Manifesto, which declared the South will not abide by nor obey this legislative decision by a political body. And I find this really, really interesting that the Supreme Court have made a a landmark ruling there and it's not being upheld by people, you know, certainly in the South, but but across the US. And it really took the Civil Rights Acts of of 1957, uh, 64, 68 to really enforce and end segregation in its forms. Um, And despite the huge power of the Supreme Court that you talked about, Ed, um, does it perhaps highlight a weakness of the Supreme Court that after Brown versus Board of Education, there was a huge backlash? It wasn't followed. um, And therefore, it does it need, you know, you talked about the enhancement and protection of civil rights. Does it need the combination of the Supreme Court to uphold the Constitution in protecting rights, but also Congress and the executive branch to enforce the rights?
1: So, fascinatingly, what you're saying then is you need the executive, you need Congress, the president to actually enforce those Supreme Court decisions. Nevertheless, I still think it is fascinating how it is the Supreme Court decision in the first place that is actually defining the rights in these areas. And this is a key area of contrast to the UK, where it is actually Parliament that tends to legislate on these issues. In Parliament, there was a private members bill to legalise abortion in the 1960s and also bring to an end the death sentence, two key areas of rights that was done by Parliament, Whereas in the US, it was Supreme Court decisions that actually defined the rights in those areas. So you've talked through, James, a historic case, which is the um, with, to do with civil rights. Do we still think to this day it is the Supreme Court that is actually defining rights in the US rather than Congress and politicians? Because it seems a lot of the debate at the moment is around, say, Roe v. Wade and the overturning to do with abortion or gun rights or indeed gay marriage. And all of these seem to have been decided by Supreme Supreme Court decisions, not by legislatures.
0: Um, Ed, you make a really good point there, and despite me saying that perhaps the Supreme Court are not as powerful as maybe that they are seen sometimes Um, but actually there is an accusation um, certainly from more conservative um, judicial kind of opinions that there is a a high amount of judicial activism within the u.s the idea of breathing life into the constitution the constitution being a living document and i think this links into the idea of loose constructionism the idea that the interpretation of the document is to evolve over time to kind of fit the the modern world that we live in Uh, and you know we mentioned earlier Ruth bay Ginsburg you know she made a really compelling argument in that quote I mentioned that when the constitution was ratified and they discussed the these kind of inalienable rights well rights for some people yes but not women not African Americans um, they were not included in that and therefore does the application of the constitution does that have to fit the modern changes that Uh, You know, are made in society. Um, And I think that's a really interesting point, Ed, that you mentioned there about, you know, gay rights with the Obergefell versus Hodges case where um, it was the Supreme Court that legalised gay marriage. Um, Is it also Roe versus Wade, where they, uh, you know, legalized abortion, you know, in the US? Um, Interestingly, you know, just recently, we have the Hodges versus Jackson case, where that Roe versus Wade um, case was overturned. um, uh, And perhaps, you know, is an example of judicial activism from the conservative wing, you know, often liberal judges are, are accused of being active in their political kind of f- philosophical pursuits. But actually, is this, a, is this an example of um, more of a conservative side? Um, however, strict constructionists, they would say, and originalists, they would argue that they are returning the constitution back to its original meaning. And that's where we get this kind of c- contest between originalists and kind of loose constructionists um, a- as
1: well. And there is is clearly an area of contrast with the UK, because maybe in legal circles people debate this, but to my knowledge, there isn't this same debate in the UK where we look at individual justices of the Supreme Court and say, what judicial philosophy do they approach? And I'm guessing there are several factors at play here. One is the powers Supreme Court in the US are greater. So they end up defining essentially quasi legislative body, meaning that through their decisions, they're essentially creating laws, especially around rights. But equally the fact that the appointment process in the US is political with the president um, nominating people to the Supreme Court and Congress ratifying that nomination in, in, in effect, whereas in the UK, it's either the Judicial Appointments Commission or an ad hoc commission for Supreme Court justices that gets together that is based purely on experience and merit, isn't it?
0: absolutely ed and and there is a culture in the UK of judicial restraint and and ultimately ed that's because it has to be because parliament are sovereign and uh, but i also agree that under the constitutional reform act of 2005 when they you know took out the supreme court in the UK from the house of lords beforehand it was the law lords in the appellate committee um and you know that obviously was a big move in 2005 um where you know showing this kind of independence from the political process um, Um, So I absolutely agree with that. Um, I would also add, though, it may be in kind of pushing back on that a little bit, um, that, you know, in 1998, the Human Rights Act, that incorporated the uh, European Convention of Human Rights. And so actually, there is a constitutional duty, in fact, of our Supreme Court and public bodies within the UK to um, adhere to these convention rights. Um, so if I can give you an example, guys, uh, in Redfern versus UK, uh, someone was being sacked for joining a political protest um, and the courts established that this breached their Article 11 right, the uh, the freedom of assembly. So that is an example there, maybe pushing back, Ed, where there is a duty on the UK Supreme Court to uphold these rights. Um, but however, they are very much connected to the European you know, Court of Human Rights and the
1: ECHR. And I suppose in that case, if I understand it, it's with the Human Rights Act, the Supreme Court can use the Human Rights Act to define rights if statute, meaning UK parliamentary law, is silent on an issue. And here, I guess, is the fundamental difference with the US, isn't it? Because there, it'll be the constitution that will always trump anything else.
0: Um, Ed, superb point there. And in the US, they can call something unconstitutional. Whereas in the UK, the Supreme Court can deem a statute law as incompatible with the ECHR. But this then goes to Parliament for final review. That's the big difference. And they cannot just overturn a statute law in the UK, whereas in the US, they absolutely can. And just to add to your point there, Ed, there is something called the margin of appreciation, uh, which is given to state governments um, where governments can restrict legally rights uh, to an extent. So, for example, in the recent Public Order Act of 2003, um, they have further put restrictions on Article 11, the, the freedom to assemble, um, with the fact that, you know, they put noise levels, they put um, any kind of disruption from that protest, they can shut down easily, you know, more easily. And I think this leads us on to uh, the fact that, um, you know, it does give, the UK parliament and the UK government more room to maneuver in terms of restricting rights whereas in the US because it is codified because the supreme court have a duty to uphold it they are able to deem something you know done by congress or done by the executive as unconstitutional
1: so my final question for you James to end on a tricky one clearly the US supreme court has more powers because of the constitutional setup i think it's difficult to argue Uh, anything other than that. But could you make the case that actually the two Supreme Courts are increasingly resembling one another? And the reason is because of the 2005 Constitutional Reform Act gave the UK Supreme Court greater freedom and independence and profile, and that they are therefore using that profile to increasingly weigh in on either rights-based issues Using the Human Rights Act or constitutional issues such as whether the government can trigger Article 50 of a Brexit or uh, whether or not they could prorogue Parliament. And in fact, with Brexit having happened, the Supreme Court is now even more the Supreme Court of the UK because we no longer defer cases to the European Court of Justice in Strasbourg and therefore have an even greater constitutional role within our system. And actually, we've got a situation where both courts are emboldened to make constitutional decisions
0: i mean i mean mr castell you always end on a good one Um, so i think to to answer that um, i think firstly i'll I'll say that the it's very interesting that um you know uh, the sorry mr castell you always end on on a difficult one and i think you know i'll answer this in a couple of ways i think firstly is to say that you know the human rights act is not um it's not entrenched. It can be overturned by a simple um, parliamentary act, and and I think you know, there is a, you know, a recent rise of, you know, should we have our own British Bill of Rights? And there will be, I'm sure of it in the next election, potentially from Farage and others on the right, saying that we should leave the convention rights. We should not have the convention rights incorporated into our UK law and our public bodies. And so I think there will be a real contest over that. um, And that may leave room for, you know, parliament to redefine, you know, the government to redefine our rights and perhaps a a different role for the Supreme Court in the future. Um, But I would just say overall, Ed, that because of the selection process in the UK, and, you know, you're quite right there to say it is independent, uh, more independent. uh, And, uh, you know, I would actually argue that makes it Um, less political in the sense that um, and actually less powerful in the sense that it gets its power from parliament and you know the fact that in the selection process it isn't politicized they have life tenure uh, their wages are fixed they cannot be changed by um, you know kind of uh, you know based on certain decisions um, actually I think does give them an independence in their decision making um, and that they aren't held to political accountability really Um, and ultimately parliament are sovereign and therefore the decisions they make have to adhere to parliamentary law and they give power to to parliament you know they kind of uphold that parliamentary sovereignty um, whereas in the UK US it is ultimately a political um, football game uh, and you know like we've just seen recently with the the Dobbs versus Jackson decision where they overturned the Roe versus Wade um, abortion decision and I think that just demonstrates that you know the Supreme Court is being used as a political football as a judicial active kind of politi- politicized court because of the appointments process, because of the selection process. And I think it will always be like that because of the, uh, you know, checks and balances that are put on the Supreme Court. Because, of, you know, the selection process, the fact that the president can nominate a um, judicial, um, a Supreme Court justice, the fact that Congress have to approve it. I think that then just shows how it is always going to be more political and perhaps more more powerful in that way.
1: Well, thank you very much, James. So, essentially, arguing that the fundamentals of the two systems mean there are always going to be some key differences here. Uh, I feel with this topic, we've barely scratched the surface with such a vast topic I and mean, we haven't even talked about their roles, for example, in looking at devolution in the UK and states' rights in the US, another huge topic. There's been some movement there as well. Can Scotland have its own referendum, yes or no, and the Supreme Court weighing in? So we shall perhaps return to this at another a future date. Thank you very much, though, James. Um, erudition insight knowledge to the fore we will definitely send you on study leave again to prepare for these own podcasts <laughs>
0: thank you very much
1: thank you very much thank you, thank you. That's been, great. That's good. you've been listening to politics the home wants more of political insight thank you very much for listening